for the next uh, six or eight weeks, it won't be six or eight weeks straight because we've got a church conference coming up at the end of April, uh, but for the next six or eight weeks until we get to the end of our spring, I'm going to deal with some issues and apologetics. I remember when I was talking with Steve Melton in the search committee to come in to be your pastor, uh, he, they asked me, what is apologetics and what is it that you teach at the Bible college? And that's one of the mm-hmm. subjects that I teach Bible college students every single quarter. Uh, and I enjoy that. What is apologetics? Apologetics is the systematic defense of our Christian faith. And in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's us learning how our faith makes sense and then us learning how to explain to others how our faith makes sense. And so what I'd like to do for the next few weeks is kind of a crash course in the subject of apologetics. Uh, There are several reasons I want to do that. One reason is because I want you to know that what you do coming here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning is not for naught. What we do as Christians is validated historically, theologically, and even philosophically. In other words, it really does matter. What we're doing is not, is not fake and it's not false and it's not just a bunch of mumbo-gumbo. Uh, it's not something that is unimportant. It's something that really does matter. And so I want it to be an encouragement. Another reason I want to do this is because the last two or three weeks we've talked about some things we can do to be more faithful and effective in sharing the good news. And one of the things that comes alongside of that is learning to explain our faith and defend our faith. And so some of what we're going to talk about should provide a help to you in conversations with people who may not think that the Christian faith makes sense. So tonight I want to ask a question. What is truth? You've got a handout in front of you. What is truth? In John chapter 19 verse 38, Jesus was standing uh, before Pilate Uh, in a trial, and Pilate was questioning Jesus, asking him a series of different questions uh, regarding his guilt and his innocence. And then Pilate asked an interesting question, what is truth? He's not the first person to ask that question. He won't be the last person to ask that question. I think that is a primary question in the field, not only of apologetics, but even Christianity or outside Christianity. Pilate wasn't asking because he wanted Jesus to tell him, by the way. Pilate was asking because things didn't make sense to him in that moment, and he was kind of throwing up his hands in the air. And I'll tell you this, I think that the issue at stake with Christianity influencing the world around us is at its heart an issue of truth. If Christianity is true, as the Bible claims it is, it is universal and absolute for everyone. If the Bible and Christianity are not true, as we claim it is, then we might as well go home, not show up on Sundays, enjoy mowing your grass and playing golf, or doing gardening, or whatever it is you might do in the place of church. So it really does matter. But if you take a look around you, it appears obvious to me that most people don't think of Christianity as true at all. And why is that? Why is it that Christianity has lost its influence in the world around us, in our contemporary culture? What I want to do for a few minutes tonight is talk about why that is. So I'm going to use a few uh, $5 philosophical words, and you can write those down if you want to, or you can ignore them if you don't want to write them down, to try to explain why I think Christianity has been relegated 
to uh, a dismissed faith or a faith that doesn't hold near the influence it used to. So contemporary philosophy provides two theories for getting at truth. The first theory is empiricism, and the second theory is rationalism. So those are the first two blanks. Empiricism. Empiricism is very simply the idea that science can tell us what is true. So an example of empiricism would be, would be this. It would be the, the law of gravity that uh, Isaac Newton discovered. How did he discover that? Well, uh, you know, uh, the, the way the story goes, an apple fell on his head and he started doing research and observation and came up with the theory or the discovery of the law of gravity. So science can be a definition of truth. In other words, science can tell us that uh, the, the earth is so many miles from the moon and so many miles from the sun. Uh, science can give us information about biology and it can give us information about things that are important to human experience. Okay? started with the Copernican Revolution, uh, started Galileo. All of those characters played into the idea of empiricism offering us truth. And there's some benefit to that. Rationalism is a little bit different. Rationalism is essentially mathematics. A uh, little more than that, but at its, at its base, it's mathematics. Mathematics tells us that 2 plus 2 is 4. 2 plus 2 is always, it's never 5, and it's never 3, correct? Now, both of those particular contemporary um, movements to find truth, when they, when they reached their zenith, which was in the Enlightenment era, in the 1700s and 1800s, they both claimed that they could give truth or explain truth within their particular framework, philosophically, uh, by themselves. In other words, empiricism could give us absolute truth and answer the questions that we have in the world, and rationalism could give us absolute truth and answer all the questions that we have in the world. But there are some problems with that. In other words, we cannot find all of our truth within empiricism or all of our truth within rationalism. I'll give you an example where that, where that comes from. It, science includes physics. Physics is the study of space. or study of more than that, but the study of space. It, we don't know how big the universe is. Because we can't see throughout all the universe. So at some point, scientists like Stephen Hawking have to say, the universe is bigger than we can see, which means it's bigger than we can observe, and so if a scientist says the universe started by X without scientific observation, scientific effort, they've ceased to do science. And they've started to do what we call dogmatics. Dogmatics is uh, the universe began by such and such process. They can't prove that. They can't show that through scientific theory. And so they cease doing science. They're making a claim. So science can't give us all of the truth that we have. Rationalism can't give us all the truth that we have either. Uh, you see, rationalism deals with mathematics. Two plus two is always four. But for those of you that were good in mathematics, you remember there's a thing called irrational numbers. Points and decimal points, right? And if you think about that in a quadrant, where you have a quadrant going uh, uh, perpendicular, uh, that's zero all the way through positive numbers, and zero through negative numbers, and then zero through positive numbers up, and zero through negative numbers down, right? You can half every number, can you not? But if you draw that quadrant, and you actually mark a point on that quadrant, and you go from 
half of one is what? 0.5. And then you go from 0.5 to 0.25. And then 0.25, half of that is what? And then half of that is what? And you know what mathematicians found? That if you do that in a quadrant form, you never get to the zero. And so it doesn't, make, it doesn't answer all the questions. In other words, mathematics, a rational system, becomes irrational. So ultimate truth cannot be found in either empiricism or in rationalism. Both end up in dogmatism, saying that this is what is real, this is what is true, this is what really matters, and they can't ground it in their particular system. What that gave us uh, is philosophy then leads to the epistemological question. It's another fancy word. If you don't want to write that down, it's simply how do you know? We ask that of anybody on any number of reasons. You ask that of your five-year-old or your seven-year-old. How do you know something to be true? Uh, and that's where science says we know it to be true by observation. Rationalism says we know it to be true based on mathematics. So what that led to is this. Modernism, and that's the next blank, modernism says these two theories give us truth. Uh, that's the philosophical shift that took place 1700s through the 1800s and the early 1900s. Modernism claimed that we can find all of our truth within the spheres of science or rationalism, empiricism or rationalism. We know everything. And by the way, that shaped and shifted the way the world worked. That happened during the late 1800s uh, through the early 1900s. And uh, it, just to give you a little historical background, there was a hope that the Industrial Revolution, along with these theories, would solve the world's problems. The world's becoming a better place. You know, we're making things right. We're fixing problems. We're solving poverty. We're making people live longer because the Industrial Revolution changed the lifespan by about 30 years in terms of how long people used to live, and there was this great optimism. And then something took place in about 1914 in Europe that completely destroyed the concept of modernism. That happened to be World War I, which led into World War II and the Great Wars and the problems of the 20th century. And modernism was actually thrown out of its um, framework philosophically because of the Great Wars. Uh, see, modernism claims that truth can be found in these two spheres. It can't ultimately be found in these two spheres. The world wars prove that. And so the second rise that happened after modernism is what we call postmodernism. Postmodernism acknowledges that these two theories are not comprehensive. Postmodernism said, okay, we can't find truth. So nothing is absolutely true. You can't find it in modernism. You can't find it in empiricism. You can't find it in rationalism. Or if you do find it, it's not universally true. It's personally true. It's individually true. And really, that's where Christianity is left. See, the problem with what is going on in Christianity and our contemporary culture today is not that people look at us and say, Christianity is not true. They're not going to tell us that. Some will. Most will say Christianity is true for you, but it's not true for me. How do they get there? Well, they get there because of postmodernism. Postmodernism says that that's an okay perspective, that we can just limit Christianity, and you, uh, you conservative, Bible-thumping 
religious bigots can go on a Sunday morning and be in your churches and say and do whatever you want to do, but don't you dare step out of your churches and tell me that I'm a sinner and tell me that I'm wrong. That, that's really where we are. They don't mind that we think it's right. They just don't want us to tell them that they're wrong. And that's what the, 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 the reality that that's left us with is we live in a completely secularized post-Christian environment where Christianity, if it has its place, it's simply in a church on a Sunday morning. In the, in the broader sphere of the way the world wants to look at Christianity, particularly American Christianity, American culture, is it doesn't have any place outside the church. That's the way society wants to view it. Because they say our truth is our truth. You believe in Jesus? That's fine by us. Just don't bring Jesus outside the church. Here's the problem with that. That's not the Bible that I read, and that's not the way truth works or truth operates. Where does that leave us? Christianity, and I'm going to give you three truth implications, something that we can actually take away and use. Some of this you can't use. I I know that. Uh, But there's a foundation to get to what we can use. The first truth implication is this. When we speak truth, we need to know that many are going to hear your personal truth. When we speak truth, you just need to know that some people are going to hear that's your personal truth. In other words, when I say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, I mean that Jesus is absolutely, universally the only way to heaven. Period. There's, there's no debate about that in my mind or in the mind of Scripture or in the mind of God. But people outside of Christianity, they limit that and they say, well, you're just talking about what's true for you. You're not talking about what's true for me. And sometimes that means we as Christians have done a complete miss with people. What I mean by that is when we share truth with them, we've done our job, but they've not heard what we've said. They've heard something different, and so we're not on the same page. Do you know what it's like to not be on the same page with somebody? If you're married, you've been there. If you have a child, you've been there. You say one thing, she hears another. She says one thing, you hear another. And you realize that can create difficulty, right? When you're not on the same page. Well, I'm afraid that sometimes as Christians, we have missed this truth. We've missed this uh, situation, this reality that's around us. And we say one thing, but people hear something completely different. And we need to know that when we say this is true, some people are going to hear That means that's your personal truth. And it requires us to do a little bit of digging and navigation and exploration for what that person hears when we talk about truth, just so we can make sure we're on the same page. The second uh, implication is this. We need revelation in order to have truth and eat it too. You've heard the phrase, have your cake and eat it too? Well, if you want truth to matter, we need something beyond empiricism and we need something beyond rationalism. Those are places you can find true things. I don't have a problem with that. By the way, the Bible doesn't have a problem with that either. Science can tell us certain things about the universe and existence that are absolutely true. Rationalism can too. Philosophy can tell us some things that are absolutely true. Uh, But they can't tell us all the things that are true. And they can't tell us all the things about all the things that are true. In order for us to find truth, we need biblical revelation. See, this world is God's world. The way he designed it, he designed it to work and function under his purposes and plans. And the only way we're really going to discover truth 
ultimate truth and truth that works is by hearing what God said in Scripture. By the way, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself, it's God's revelation to us. The only way we're going to be able to make sense out of everything in the world is to look at it through the lens of revelation. God is the one that gets to speak to us about what's right and wrong. It's why when we come back to issues such as gender, you know, and there's this huge push in society to, to I don't know, a, 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 you can call it abuse, you can call it absolute craziness, you can call it ridiculousness. By the way, it doesn't make any sense. Because if you're an empiricist, biology says a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. All right, I mean, it's, it's clear biologically. That's, there's, no, there's no room for discussion there. Am I right? Okay. But then contemporary societies want to push back against gender and say that if a boy feels like he's a girl or if a girl feels like she's a boy or however that works, then we need to encourage that and support that. So in other words, they're rejecting empirical evidence to get at personal feelings. Why is that? It's because they reject a foundation of what is true that God has said. In other words, once you take God's declaration, God's revelation out of place, and by the way, it's not present in contemporary society. Scripture does not have... A, an influence any longer in contemporary America. Has it in our churches, certainly has it in the way you and I live our lives, I think, but it, in, in broader society, scriptural basis or scriptural morality, scriptural ethics has no basis any longer. And so it, it makes perfect sense for somebody to say, well, I feel like a girl today and I'm a boy and uh, maybe tomorrow I'll feel like a boy and maybe I'll have surgery or maybe I'll do this. And, and we look at that and think that that's absolutely crazy. It is crazy. But society looks at that and says, personal autonomy is what matters way more. Personal choice is what matters way more. Personal rights is what matters way more than what is, you know, what you say is true. That's why we need biblical revelation. We need God to provide for us a framework and a foundation for how we see the world. And that's what biblical revelation does. It allows us to have truth that, that actually works because the Bible doesn't shift with the way society shifts. It has a foundation. And that gets us to the third point. We can trust the biblical revelation because it corresponds to reality. We can trust the biblical revelation because it corresponds to reality. What do I mean by that? I mean, I have not found in all of my studies and research an area where the scripture is in discord with science. Some will tell you that Scripture and science are not on the same page. I haven't found that yet. I haven't found where Scripture and history are on, the same, are on a different page. You know when civilization began? I, I, I teach a little bit of history, look a little bit of history. Some people will say that man had been around for uh, 100,000 years, or uh, some will say 20,000 years. Civilization began between 15 and 20,000 years ago. But do you know when every historian says civilization began? Every single one of them. What is it? The advance of what? Somebody speak it out loud. Agriculture. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God put Adam and Eve where? In a garden. And when he kicked them out of the garden, what did he say they would do? They would have to work the 
ground. In other words, history affirms exactly what the Bible teaches. Now, some historians and evolutionists are going to say we have evidence that goes further back than that. There's not. In the historical databases, as we look back and at, uh, at uh, archaeology and as we look, about, look back at historical evidence, history as we know it begins with civilization. Every historian says civilization began with agriculture, which is exactly what God says in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. No different. The Bible corresponds with historical truth. The Bible corresponds with scientific truth. On the issue of gender, for example, God made us male and female. That is absolutely in concert with scientific evidence. No scientific evidence that's actually been proven is in discord with what Scripture actually teaches. It just, they just don't disagree. Why? Because the, all truth is God's truth. They're not in discord with one another. What I want to tell you is this. When the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, it means it. Biblical truth is personal. It's real. It's something that can be experienced, but it's something that can be declared. I can tell you that Jesus is the only way to heaven, not just because the Bible says it, but because you have met Jesus and know him in a personal relationship, and he's promised to take you with him to heaven. The last verse I want to share as we close is this. John chapter 8, Jesus said, uh, if you are my disciples, you will obey my word. And then he makes this beautiful statement, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is speaking that to about his followers, but to the religious leaders of his day. There are a lot of people today that are bound up and that are, um, that are imprisoned by their particular view of the world and their particular views on the issue of truth. Those that follow empirical evidence only, like Richard Dawkins and others, atheists, they're bound up in their system of evolutionary naturalism. Do you know what they say is more plausible than God? They say aliens are more plausible than God. That sounds like, that sounds like they're bound up in some kind of prison to me. I mean, I, I, would I care if there are aliens in the world? No, I don't, I don't really care. I don't think there are. But I, I don't care. It makes more sense that a personal creator would design us than it does that aliens would start us. Uh, or you take the rationalists, people like Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a, a fantastic thinker, brilliant. He actually came up in, in the vein of after the Enlightenment era, read some people, read some thoughts and ideas of some folks that really started pushing back against biblical truth and looking at truth in other areas. And Nietzsche came along and said, basically what we've done in the Enlightenment era is we have killed God. He doesn't, he's not relevant anymore. Christianity is not relevant anymore. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't fit. Nietzsche went mad holding that philosophy. He spent the last 10 years of his life in a catatonic state in a bed because he could not live consistently within his philosophy in the way the world works, in the way the world actually works. Biblical revelation corresponds to reality. These other areas are prisons. They're prisons. Think about the people that pursue pleasure. And they've got a license to pursue whatever pleasure they want to pursue. How many of them end up enjoying their life in their 70s? Many of them don't even make it to their 70s. They're in prison. They're in a prison of their own decisions and their own choices and their own desires. 
How many people that are bound up in a philosophy that's outside of Christianity are free, are truly free? None. They're bound up either in their sinfulness or their own philosophy. They don't have hope. They don't look forward to anything. They don't long for anything. But when you know the truth, you're free. You're free. Listen, I don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, I don't like what I see in the news, and I don't like what I think that maybe could happen. I don't like the idea of maybe one day being diagnosed with cancer or having a heart attack. But you know what? I don't worry about that because I'm free. I'm free from the penalty of sin, and I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. Jesus makes you free. He doesn't bind you in a philosophical system. And actually, what's beautiful about Jesus and about biblical revelation If you're willing to look at everything you can see through the lens of what Jesus teaches, if you're willing to, a lot of these things that trouble us or a lot of these things we're trying to figure out, we can actually make some sense of. We can actually look at Nietzsche or look at Kant or look at some of these other thinkers and say, listen, you know, some ways they got it right. Nietzsche was right. We've killed God and it destroyed him. He was right about that. Wrong about you know how he gets there and some of those things, but he consistently held something that the Bible could have told him ahead of time that it held. In fact, if you're troubled about the way the world is and what it looks like, just go back and read the Old Testament. Go back and read the book of Romans. All of it's there. The things we're dealing with in society, God's already said. God's already described societies that are just like that. And you want me to tell you some really good news? In all of those societies where biblical truth had no relevance, biblical truth won. Bottom line, Paul went to Athens and Corinth and Thessalonica and Lystra and places that had nothing to do, Ephesus, nothing to do with biblical truth. You know what? He preached the gospel, and you know what happened? The gospel freed people, and they won Because the gospel is true and it brings us freedom. Now, we're going to deal with some uh, different issues as we move forward in the weeks to come. Next week, we're going to deal with the Christian worldview. What is the Christian worldview and why does it matter? I just want to tell you, flat out, plain and simple, Christianity is true. It makes sense and I hope it encourages you. I hope it helps you know that we don't have to leave our faith inside the walls of this building today or tomorrow or any other time. When we take it outside and share the good news of Jesus, it doesn't matter what other people think about us. It only matters that biblical Christianity is absolutely 100% without question true. And by the way, if it wasn't, it would have been shut down a long time ago. There is no other faith that's been attacked like Christianity. None. And it's still standing. Still standing because it corresponds to reality. And that's one thing that I hope will encourage you.